Thank you guys for leading us in worship this morning. It's always a blessing to be able to sing praises to our great God and to glorify his name in song. Um, Scott shared with me as I went back to my seat that um, the Assembly of God Church in Cortland has um, suffered a serious um, water main break with a situation similar to ours a couple of years ago. Um, Pastor Goddard got there and everything was wet, everything was flooded, there was water all over the place, they've had to cancel the services this morning, um, so we need to be praying for them and remembering them in our thoughts and prayers as they uh, deal with whatever now lies before them. So let's remember them in prayer as well this morning and this week. All right. Um, well, some of you are going to be wondering what in the world is going on with our pastor. If you look at the, 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 the length of our text this morning, okay, um, it says Acts 20 to 28. And that is not a mistake. It, it is genuine that that's what we're going to cover this morning. Um, we're going to wrap up our study today in the book of Acts. And you might be thinking, well, last week it was Acts chapter 19. So how is pastor going to get to the end of the book if we're starting with chapter 20? And you may know that there's 28 chapters in the book. So you're shaking your head and you're saying, that is not possible. Some of you may be thinking, pastor must be skipping ahead several chapters if he's really finishing on planning if he's really planning on finishing the book this morning. And, of course, it's possible that some of you might think Pastor is just simply nuts if he thinks he can get through that many chapters at one time. I promise you that I'm not nuts. Well, I can't, I can't promise you that. Um, but in my endeavor to get through 20 to 28, that is not nuts this morning, okay? Um, and then, you know, you might be thinking, well, why? How's, how are we going to cover that many passages or that many chapters this morning? I promise you that we aren't going to be here for four hours. Well, I'm not going to promise you that either because we are having the picnic afterwards, so you're welcome to stay as long as you want. Okay, But we are going to finish around our normal time this morning. Um, but let's think about this for a moment. We could probably sum up the last several chapters of the book of Acts by using one word. Okay, and it's a word that is familiar to the Apostle Paul. It's a word that um, we've seen over and over again already in our study of the book of Acts with relationship to the Apostle Paul, and that word is travel. Paul is going to be on the move this morning, going from one place to another. He went from town to town and back and forth, from freedom to prison, um, and, and so Paul was on the go. Paul was on the move, um, and you know what? We go back to Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, and we read the Great Commission, and the Great Commission there says, go into all the world. Now, I like to ask kind of a trick question with regard to the command of the Great Commission. You know, we look at that in our English Bibles and we say, well, obviously, Pastor, the command is to go into all the world. Well, that word go, it hasn't actually been translated quite right in our English versions. In the Greek, that word go is a participle, and it should be translated in your going or as you are going. So that's where Paul is this morning. He's going. He's on the move. He's moving from one place to another. He's not staying in one place too terribly long. And you know what he's doing as he's going? He's making disciples. He's fulfilling Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. 
So this idea of travel is where Paul is today. Um, All the while we see Paul is, while he's traveling, busy with ministry. He didn't take a break. He didn't use it as an excuse. He didn't say, oh, I can't go. I can't go do this. I can't do that. I'm on the move, and I just got to keep, I I just got to get to where I want to be, all right? Uh, When we would leave South Africa, people would ask us, do you stop at other places and visit other places while you're going? Nope. Our goal was to get on a plane in Cape Town and get to America as quickly as possible without any interruptions in between, all right? We had, we had a couple of kids, and kids always make traveling more interesting, but when they're, when they're very young, you, you don't want them to be running around all over the place. So our best flights were from Cape Town to Miami, Miami to Peoria, and then, and then on to Barb's mom and dad's house from there. That was a great flight. Oh, it's a long flight. Yeah, but it was great because we left America, where, or we left South Africa, where we had friends and family, and we knew everybody, we knew the language, it was easy to communicate, it was easy to, we landed in America, well, I mean, we did land in Miami, so the language, you know, is what it is, um, but anyway, we, we went from one place we were familiar with to another place, and it was easy, and that's the way we liked it. Paul, however, is going from place to place to place to place to place to place, and he's ministering at the same time. I prefer my travel to be easy rather than complicated. And with Paul, we see in Paul's life, nothing was really easy for him anyway, so why, why, what's the big deal about adding a few more things to the situation with Paul's life? So as we get started this morning... We see Paul is, continues to be busy with ministry. He's teaching, he's preaching the gospel, he's impacting uh, change in the lives of his listeners. And all along with his preaching and teaching, he is living out the gospel. He's not just talking about the gospel, he's actually living it out. So as we start this morning, we're just going to cruise over some of the highlights of these chapters. And then we're going to draw some conclusions based on these highlights, all right? So as we start, let's start with a word of prayer because it's always good to ask God to bless our time together in his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We are thankful for the time we've spent in the book of Acts, learning uh, so many things from this study. Father, we have seen how uh, we transitioned from the Old Testament way of thinking and living and doing, doing whatever as far as even worshiping you, and we've moved into now the church, which is being planted. It's, being, uh, it's, it's now in full swing, and, and it's evident that you are working through a new group of people. You are no longer working through primarily the Jewish people under the Old Testament law, but you are working through um, Gentiles under the church, uh, the Jesus promised and said he was going to build. I will build my church, he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We've transitioned now from the old Israel mindset to a church mindset, to a a followers of Jesus kind of a mindset, and we're seeing that we need to be faithful and committed to the things of Christ. No matter what might come our way, we remain faithful to you, uh, and we represent you in the world you have placed us. So as we continue our study and wrap up our study in the book of Acts this morning, we ask your blessing upon our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at these highlights uh, in the closing chapters of the book of Acts, we're going to touch on several of them. And again, I'm not crazy. There are lots of points under number one, um, but I didn't put very many sub points, all right? So it's A through I. We're going ca- to tackle them all. We're going to see what these highlights are and what do we learn from these highlights after all. Well, first of all, we see in chapter 20, verses 17 through 38, Paul's conversation with the Ephesian elders, okay? Now, 
I really appreciate this passage of Scripture. Um, this, it was this passage of Scripture that God used to confirm in my life that he was moving us from South Africa back to America. I had asked God to give me um, some confirmation from his word that we were moving in the right direction. And that morning, as I was working through a chronological reading of the Bible, uh, that, that morning I opened up my Bible to Acts chapter 20, and there it was P- Paul saying his goodbye to the Ephesian elders um, and challenging them to live on and be faithful. And I was like, okay, God, I get it. I don't need a two-by-four upside the head. That's good enough for me because that's what I asked God to do, to give me a passage of Scripture that would confirm for me in my mind where he was leading us. We didn't know where we were going. We just knew that we were leaving South Africa and we were going to finish up our um, responsibilities as a missionary and then go wherever else God would lead us next. And uh, with one stop in between, praise the Lord, he's brought us here and we're happy to be here and thankful that God has allowed us to be involved in ministry right here at Calvary Baptist Church in Preble. But Paul has this conversation with the Ephesian elders and here's some thoughts that go on during his uh, conversation with these elders. Uh, he, He first of all reminds them that he himself has been faithful in serving the Lord while he was there in Ephesus. He poured his heart out to the Ephesian believers. He trained them. He taught them. He grounded them in the word of God. Now, he was confident that he could move on from Ephesus because he saw the fruit of the ministry that he had been involved in. When we left Cape Town, we were confident that God was going to continue to use that church, Grace Baptist Church of Tableview, for his honor and for his glory. We had been involved in discipling and training and part of a Bible college ministry, um, and, and God used us to build a building which was great experience for us in the future. And then God used us to be involved in that Bible College Institute um, and the Christian school that was there. And through all of those things, there was a man who became available to pastor our church that we were leaving. What a blessing that was to be able to turn the, the ministry over to Pastor Barry. Now, since then, Barry has uh, gone home to be with the Lord. But you know what? The church continues on. For the glory and the honor of our great God. And Paul was confident because he faithfully served the Lord that things were going to continue on in ministry there in Ephesus. Uh, We also see that as part of his ministry there, he boldly proclaimed the gospel. He wasn't ashamed. He wasn't afraid. He simply gave out the gospel. And that's all that we can do as the followers of Jesus Christ today. All we can do is give out the gospel. The result of that giving out of the gospel is not in our hands. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of other individuals as they hear the gospel presented to them. So we give it out faithfully and we let the results come as God can make them come. We also see that Paul taught the truth no matter the cost. Sometimes it was a heavy cost for the Apostle Paul himself. He was beaten often, and he was, he was, he was just uh, put in prison, and it was not an easy responsibility for him to communicate the truth that was given to him. As he was writing the truth in the pages of Scripture, he was communicating it to the people in Ephesus and other places around there, and it cost him greatly. We also see that the Apostle Paul told them in this conversation that he would not see their faces again. And out of all the things that Paul communicated to the Ephesian elders, he says through the pen of the Dr. Luke here in Acts, 
that that was the most difficult thing for him at all, of all. That he, would, he knew he was not going to see these people that he ministered alongside with ever again. And he said it was clear. God made that clear to him. He would not see the elders, the Ephesian elders again. And so he encouraged them to carry on faithfully teaching and preaching the word of God so that others would have that same impact in their lives that Paul had on those uh, Ephesian elders. We see also in this conversation that imprisonment and affliction awaited him. It wasn't over. You know, sometimes when you get to the end, you're like, okay, I've had enough of this and I've had enough of that. Maybe God will just let me coast on off into the sunset. Nope. Paul was told in this conversation that he was going to be in prison, he would be afflicted, and the rest of his life was not going to be an easy one. As he wraps up this conversation with the elders, he says to them, I want you men to shepherd the flock well. I want you to be faithful to God who has called you to this ministry. And I want you to protect the flock of God. Now, he didn't necessarily mean protect them physically, did he? He meant protect them from the ravenous wolves, from the false teachers, from the heresies that would be presented to the church. He commended, how how were these elders supposed to do that? I love verse 32. Let me read it for you. Acts chapter 20, verse 32, Paul says this. So now, brethren, I commend you to God... And look at this next phrase. If you highlight, if you underline in your Bible, you should underline this. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul says, listen, my brothers in ministry, my my." my uh, my, those who serve alongside of me in ministry, I commit you first of all to God. And aren't you glad that God is our protector? He's our guide. He's our deliverer. He's the one who sustains us. He's the one who helps us understand his word. He first of all commends them to God, but then to the word. And he said, this is why you must stick to the word because the word is able to, number one, build you up. The word of God is able to build you up so you understand what you need to do. And then the word of God is able to give you your inheritance. What is our inheritance? What is it? Heaven. Okay. And are we only there for a short time? Forever. Forever. Our inheritance is eternal life. And Paul says that's what the word of God does. It builds you up. It helps you grow. It helps you understand what you are to do in this life. And then it prepares you for the life to come. Whoo! Hallelujah. We don't need anything else. The word of God and God himself. And then we see as the text, as the chapter concludes there, that it is indeed a sad departure. Paul is hugging and and, and just all emotional about his departure from Ephesus. Again, the reason he's so, uh, so emotionally worked up is because he knows that these men that he's poured his life into, he's not going to ever see them again. And it's, it's sad, and in fact, almost to the point of breaking his heart. But he has faith in the God that saved them and the God that they are rooted in 
that God will continue to use them for his honor and for his glory. That's the conversation Paul had with the Ephesian elders. And then we see in chapter 21 that Paul is cautioned about going to Jerusalem. Um, There's this guy named Agabus who comes up to the Apostle Paul after Paul announced that he was going up to Jerusalem. And, And Agabus took Paul's belt Now, when we think of belts, it's not this kind of a belt, okay? Um, But probably more of a cloth belt that went around his robe. He took the belt off the Apostle Paul, and he wrapped that belt around his hands. And and he said, the man who owns this belt is going to be put in bondage. Like my hands are bound, Agabus says, so will this man who owns this belt be bound in Jerusalem. How would you want to go to Jerusalem then? You think Paul was still excited about going to Jerusalem? We might say, ah, is there a detour? Can I go around Jerusalem? Can I, get the, can I get to where I need to go by going someplace else? No. Paul knew it was God's will for him to go to Jerusalem, so you know what he did? He went. Knowing that he would face persecution, knowing that he would face affliction, knowing that he would not be welcomed with open arms, even though he was a Jew, even though Jerusalem for a time had been his home and he was very active in the ministry of the temple and the synagogues there, he was not going to be welcomed back to Jerusalem. In fact, they didn't really want him in Jerusalem except for to bind him and to put him into persecution. So he was cautioned not to go, but he says, you know what? I have to go. That's what God wants me to do. I have to go. And then we see Paul communicates all that God had done among the Gentiles there in his ministry, his last missionary journey. He communicates all the amazing things. The gospel is going forth. Churches are being planted. People are being saved. In fact, later on we're going to see that thousands and thousands of people were saved as a result of Paul's missionary journey and those other people who he had discipled and through the team ministry of all those individuals, thousands of people had come to know Jesus as their Savior. He communicates to the people in Jerusalem all the amazing things that happened among the Gentiles. And then he said, I'm also going there because I need to, I've made a vow with these four men and I'm going to go and fulfill this vow. Now, what was that vow? It was probably a Nazarite vow. Now, you know what? Paul was no longer under the law. He knew that. But he still took a vow with these four men to encourage them in their walk, in their faith, and to do what was right. There wasn't anything wrong with a Nazarite vow. So Paul says, let me do it. Because it's going to help these men grow in their relationship with God. So he takes this vow and he goes to Jerusalem and, and he fulfills that vow with these four men. And you know what? It was all for the glory of God. All for God's honor and, and for uh, others to see God's work in and through him. Now, I mentioned that thousands of, of people had come to know Christ as a result of the ministry of Paul and those who were working with him. And you know what it tells us? Who it was that, that got saved as a result of his ministry? Take a look at verses 19 through 25. Actually, just down to verse 24. It says, but concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should, that's not the right spot, sorry. Um, um, 21, what I have written down. 
don't think it's actually the right one, though. Anyway, it's, it says here that zealous Jews, zealous Jews came to know Jesus as their Savior. You know what kind of Jews those people are? It was the kind of Jews who caused Jesus to name John and his brother the Sons of Thunder. They were zealots. 2120. Thanks, Scott. They were zealots. They were on fire, not for Jesus. They were on fire for the cause of the, of the Jewish belief system in the law. It says, and when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there, were, there are who believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they have been informed about you and you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying they ought not to circumcise their children nor walk according to their customs. That's actually a lie. Paul never said that, but that's what he was being accused of. But he said, those people said, thousands of people, myriads, that's what that word means, myriads, thousands of people, thousands of zealous Jews who loved the law have been converted by this man. Wow. God was using him. God was doing a work. You know what was happening? The very words of Jesus were being fulfilled when Jesus said, I will build my church. He was using the Apostle Paul to build his church. And you know what? Today, he's using you and I to build his church. And aren't you glad he made a promise? Aren't you glad that Jesus said when he made that promise, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Doesn't mean the gates of hell won't fight against us. But it means the gates of hell will not win, will not be victorious, will not prevail against us. So Paul communicates all these amazing things that God was doing as a result of his faithfulness and commitment to the ministry that God called him to. And then we see the crowd's abusive conduct towards Paul. After these men stirred up the crowds like it was normal for wherever Paul went, people were getting converted, people were getting saved, people were forsaking idols, forsaking their old ways, and turning to the things of God, and following after the one true God, entering into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. These men were upset that these Jewish people and others were following after God, following after Jesus. So they begin to um, attack Paul. And those who were with him, they're, they're, they're attacking him, and riots ensue. You can check it out, verses 26 through 40. Lies and false accusations are made against them. These people are trying to get Paul thrown in prison, and their ultimate goal is not just thrown in prison, but they want him what? They want him dead. So he can no longer have an impact and an effective ministry in the lives of those that God has called him to. So, they become abusive towards the Apostle Paul. Did that stop Paul? You can shake your head, you can go like this. No, nope. didn't stop him. You know what happens? Paul then contends for the truth as he defends himself. Paul says, okay, listen to this. He, he underwent a series of trials, and in each one of those trials, he debated, if you will. He communicated the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He used the Old Testament to help these Jewish men see their need of a Savior, see their need of trusting Jesus as the Messiah, the one true Messiah that was promised, the one true Messiah that all Jewish people have been waiting for. Paul said, this Jesus is the one. He is the Messiah. He contends for the truth. 
And he just keeps on speaking truth after truth after truth. He contends for the truth with the violent crowd that wanted him dead. And then he contends for the truth before the council. He contends for the truth before different officials. Look at it here in verses 20, 20, chapter 21, verse 40. Before the crowd, all the way down, he shares. You know what he does there? He shares his story. He says, hey, you know what? I was like you guys were. I was just like you. I hated those people of the way. I thought that they were wrong, and I wanted to stop it. I thought I was doing God a favor by persecuting them, by trying to wipe them out, by trying to stop them from being what God called them to be. That was my goal, to just quench it, to not let it go further, to not let it have any more impact upon the Jewish culture. That was my goal. That's what I wanted to do. But you know what? God had different plans. God broke into my life, Paul said. God changed me. You know what? The day you got saved, God broke into your life. It wasn't your intention to be who you are today. I can tell you that. You had different plans. You had different mindset. You had different goals. You had a different purpose. You were looking out for you. And you know what? That's what everybody does. We look out for ourselves until God breaks into our life. And Paul communicates the story of how God broke into his life on that Damascus Road encounter. Oh man, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks, the goads, Paul. You need to stop and you need to follow me. Paul still wasn't so sure about it. Until he had this encounter with a man named Ananias, who brought back to him his sight to some degree at least. And then God told Paul on that day, you know what, Paul? Uh, you're going to be a minister of mine. And he told, he told Ananias as well, a minister to kings and officials and Gentiles. Those people who are in authority, those people who really don't want anything to do with me right now, you're going to be a witness to those people. Can I tell you something? God has saved us to be a witness to the people he brings across our life and brings through our life. We may not ever stand before a king or a president or a, a person who's in charge, but we stand before people every day of our lives. And God wants to use us in their lives to communicate truth. That's what Paul did, truth. He was a truth communicator. He was a truth machine, if you will. He contends for the truth. He contended before the crowd. He contended before the council. This was the high priest and his cronies that were called in to look at the Apostle Paul and come up with a charge against him. And he used all these false accusations. <laughs> and Paul says, you're nothing but a whitewashed wall. That's a little nicer than what Jesus called them. Jesus called them whitewashed sepulchers. A used burial plot. Who wants that? That's what, they, that's what Jesus called them. And, and Paul says, you're nothing but a whitewashed wall. And then somebody standing next to Paul was about ready to strike him on the mouth because of what he called the high priest. And he says, how dare you speak against the high priest like that? And Paul says, oh, I didn't know he was the high priest the way he was talking, carrying on. He doesn't act like the high priest. Didn't know that. Contended also before this guy named Felix, who was like the, the mayor, the governor of the area. 
Multiple times, in fact, he, he, he spoke the truth to this guy named Felix. He brought conviction to Felix's mind, so much so that Felix says, Take this man away from me! I don't want to hear him anymore! He's making too much sense, it's too logical, and I might, all, I might decide to follow after his teachings. <laughs> you know what that's called? The convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And Felix says, take him away before I repent and turn after this Jesus guy. Well, not only was he before Felix, but he was before Festus. And not the Festus on Gunsmoke either. Okay, Festus, another official above Felix in the Roman uh, government there. And Festus is questioning Paul, and Festus is trying to figure out, what are we going to charge this guy with? He seems to be a troublemaker. But you know what Paul does? He speaks the truth. He speaks the truth. Can I tell you this? The truth will never get you into trouble with God. It might get you in trouble with other people. They might not like it, but it will never get you in trouble with God. And you know whose side I want to be on? I want to be on God's side. If I'm going to get in trouble, I don't want it to be with God. I want it to be with men. So Paul is, is speaking the truth, and Festus is listening. And, and you know what? Festus says, I, I, I don't see anything wrong. This guy hasn't done anything wrong. But, Paul, you want to go to Caesar? I'll send you to Caesar. In other words, he's saying, I don't have to deal with this one. I'm glad that I, that I can send this guy someplace else. And then Agrippa, the king, makes a trip to Jerusalem, and Agrippa in chapter 26, uh, he wants to hear Paul. He said, I, I, I want to hear this man, Paul. I, I, I've heard about him, but I want to hear him. I want to I see what he has to say. I've heard he's a pretty convincing guy, so let me meet with this guy named Paul. And, and you know what happens to Agrippa? He listens to what Paul says, and he has a very similar reaction to Felix. Check it out in verse 28 of chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. You almost persuade me. Your conversation, your um, knowledge of the history of the nation of Israel, your knowledge of Judaism, your knowledge of this man Jesus who you say is the Messiah, and it seems like from what you say he may well have been the Messiah. Paul, you almost persuade me. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 29, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Almost and absolutely, completely persuaded that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the only way to heaven, Jesus is the one who makes you right with the Father, Jesus is the answer to the problems of the struggles you have in this world, in this life. I wish, I pray, I hope that you're not only almost persuaded, but that you're altogether completely persuaded to follow after Jesus Christ because he's the only one. That was Paul's wish. That was Paul's purpose in this life. He said, oh, if you would only confess, if you would only repent, and if you would turn to follow after Jesus Christ. And when he had said these in verse 30, 
The king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who were with him. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. The most powerful people in the region had determined Paul had done nothing wrong. He should be set free. But you know what? Paul had already appealed to Caesar. Paul had already said, you know what? I'm not getting a fair shake with these guys, with with the council. The Jewish leaders, I'm not getting a fair shake there. I'm not sure about Fest or Felix, what's going on with him. I, I, I'm going to appeal to Caesar. I want to go to Caesar. And you know what that purpose is? And you're going, make disciples. As you go, make disciples. I'm going to Rome. I'm going to Caesar. In his trial before Festus, he, he, he thought that, you know what, Festus isn't going to even listen to me, not going to let me share my actual story. And so Festus was more than happy to send him on to Caesar and put the ball in Caesar's hands to make a decision about what he should do. And, and so this is God's will, because remember, God told Paul that he was going to Rome. So Paul now has to make his way to Rome. And Yeah, it's pretty weak, but Paul's cruised to Rome. He wasn't on a cruise ship, but he was on a boat. And that boat, it didn't make it to Rome. But you know what? Paul said to the men, it's okay. We're going to be okay because God said we're going to be okay. Guess what Paul got to do in his cruise to Rome? Speak the truth, share the gospel, communicate Christ. See others' lives impacted and affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul and some of the other prisoners were handed over to the centurion named Julius, and they set off for Rome. On the way to Rome, though, they encountered some difficulties along the way. Paul says, listen, we shouldn't go to Rome now. We should wait. We should should port here for the season. The winter season was about to arrive, and no, Paul didn't have radar. He didn't have all the latest navigational instruments to look at. But you know what Paul did have? He had God. He had the Lord. He had the Holy Spirit. And Paul was told by God, these guys should wait. And so he said that to them, you nuts. We are seasoned sailors. We know what we're doing, and we're going to sail on. So they sailed on, at least a little bit. It wasn't long into their journey when things turned nasty. They ended up throwing all the cargo overboard in an attempt to just survive. In the end, their attempts were fruitless. They were about ready to kill the prisoners. Because, you know, in Rome, prisoners were not allowed to escape. And if these prisoners were escaped and found alive someplace else, guess who, got, guess who was put to death? Those whose charge they were left in. So the, the, the prisoners or the, the guards on board were about ready to kill the prisoners. And, the, and, the, and the, the chief guy said, no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. And so they tried and they were actually able to run the ship aground in a place called Malta. And so Paul crashes on Malta in, in chapter 28. And while on Malta, there's some miracles that take place. You know what God is doing? He's using Paul to communicate the truth to contend for the truth, to continue to speak the truth. First, Paul was bitten by a snake, okay? And these snakes, the snake that bit Paul 
was a deadly poisonous snake. And Paul should have dropped dead when he got bit. He was picking up a piece of firewood and throwing it in the fire. And the serpent obviously didn't want to go in the fire, right? So the serpent's crawling up the stick or the, the, the piece of wood and it bites him. And everybody that was around the fire saw the, the, the natives, if you will, saw Paul get bit by this snake. And they thought, oh, he's a dead man. <laughs> he, 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 he survived the water, but he ain't going to survive that snake bite. There's no way that he can survive that. He's going to die. And Paul keeps on doing what Paul's doing. He's putting wood in the fire. He's talking to others. And they're thinking, he's going to die. He's got to die. Everybody that gets bit by that snake dies. He survived. You know what that caused the, 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 the natives to think? God's on this guy's side. Some God, whatever God he serves, is on his side. Paul showed no ill effects, and, and they changed their minds. Okay, the shipwreck didn't get him. The snake bite didn't get him. Now Paul must be a God. We must listen to him. We must figure out who he is and what he is and who he's following and what he represents because this guy is somebody special. He's still alive. Paul, Paul doesn't accept the worship. Paul says, no, 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 there's one God. His name is God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's the one true God. He's the God I follow. You need to follow him too. The other miracle was that Paul healed the son of one of the leading citizens of Malta, which led to many others on the island that were deceased, diseased coming to Paul and saying, can you heal my loved one as well? And God allowed them to be healed as well. So now Paul really is building up credibility, huh? You want to talk about street cred, right, right, Scott? Paul is getting credit here for things that God is doing. But you know what Paul's doing? It's all God. It's not me. It's God. It's, it's the God I serve. He's the one who's doing this. He's the one who's doing the healing. He's the one who, who changes lives. And upon departure from that island, the people treated their unexpected guests with great generosity. They gave them all that they needed to make the rest of the trip to Rome. Why was it such a blessed trip? Because God told Paul he was going to Rome. And when God tells you something, you better believe it. You know what that's called? You know what it's called, right? God is able to do what he says he will do. It's faith. It's faith. God told Paul he was going to Rome. It didn't matter if he had a shipwreck. It didn't matter if he got bit by a snake. It didn't matter what happened in his life. Paul was going to Rome because God said so and Paul believed it. We see Paul's a great man of faith. Chapter 28, verses 16 through 31, we see Paul's coming to Rome. Strangely enough, we don't read about a trial in Rome, but we read that Paul was able to preach and teach in Rome without any hindrances. Why? Because God sent him there for that purpose. He didn't go undergo trials in Rome. He wasn't persecuted in Rome. In fact, he stayed there for two full years and challenged folks with the gospel message, possibly even at Rome's expense. <laughs> How amazing is that? That God would use Rome to pay for Paul's living expenses and Paul would go on preaching the gospel for two years. What a great God we serve. What an amazing God we have working in and through us. 
So we've gone over these highlights. What are some of the things we can learn from this? How can it help us here at Calvary Baptist Church in our service for the Lord? Well, first of all, the reason Paul could do what he did was because Paul's hope rests confidently in the Lord. Paul's hope rests confidently in the Lord. Paul makes several statements to show beyond any doubt that he is absolutely sure that God will take care of all things that work in his life. All things, no matter whether they're good or bad, God's at work and God's going to take care of them. That's why Paul could boldly proclaim the message of salvation in adverse conditions. Without fear, he preached the truth because he believed that God would do what God said he would do. We see through the highlights that we've looked at just a few expressions of hope or it's obvious that Paul's hope is in the Lord. It was expressed to the Ephesian believers. Look at chapter 20, verse 32. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Paul says this to the Ephesian elders. He says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Everyone who's sanctified, everyone who is, and that's, if you want to know, that's that initial sanctification that the Bible talks about, where we are placed into the body of Christ. We're set apart to be a child of God. We're no longer an unbeliever. We're no longer a child of Satan. We're no longer doing Satan's bidding, but we have been sanctified, set apart by God for God's purpose in this world. And Paul says, for all of those who are sanctified, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I want you to know and live in the word of God. He also, we also see it in the fact that it was expected when he was warned about going to Jerusalem. Paul expected God to take care of him. When Agabus said, you can't go there, Paul, they're going to kill you. And Paul said, that's nah, not going to happen. How did Paul know? Because God said, you're going to Rome. You know what? Don't take this the wrong way. But you and I, we are invincible until God is finished with us in this life. Nothing bad, nothing diabolical can happen to us until God is finished with us. And when God is finished with us, he may very well take us home through whatever means he thinks is going to bring the most glory to him. But until that point, Satan can't do anything to stop what God is doing in our lives. That ought to be a pretty encouraging thought. Paul expected God to take care of him, even though others knew and said, hey, it's not going to be good for you in Jerusalem. Paul answered, he said, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's God's will for me, I'll die there, but I'm going to Rome. He knew it. We also see that the confidence that Paul had in God was explained when he was reporting to the church in Jerusalem. 
He didn't take the credit for it. He didn't say it was Dr. Luke and I and Timothy and Barnabas. It wasn't, it wasn't what we did. It was what God did. Verse 19 of chapter 22, Paul says this, When he had greeted them, he told them in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Can I tell you, when we do something good and grand and glorious, it's not because we did it. It's because God did it through us. It's kind of like when we host an event here. We've hosted a couple conferences. Last year we hosted the fall festival. We're going to do it again, both of them again, back to back. Um, and people always say, Pastor Tim, your church did a wonderful job, or, or you did a great job hosting. I, nah, wasn't me. I couldn't have done that without my church family. They did it. When people said to us last year, uh, they wrote me in emails and they sent me letters and they sent uh, phone calls and text me. Wow, it was a great festival you guys did. It was the church that did it. Thank you, for, thank you for doing that, Pastor Tim. It was the church that did it. I couldn't do that. I mean, ask my wife. I don't have enough organizational skills to clean my garage, <laughs> let alone pull off one of those kinds of events. It's God at work in and through his servants who are willing to be used by him for his honor and his glory. So when we do something right, what's our response? To God be the glory, great things he has done. Not me, him. He does it. I can't do it. It was expounded in his defense. First of all, it was expounded to the council. Acts chapter 23, verse 1. Then Paul, looking earnestly or intently at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. You know, he's saying, everything I've done has been done in service to God. And he's looking at these men who are trying to find a, a reason to put him to death. So his response was, if you want to put me to death, you're going to put me to death because I've been serving God with my life. Day in and day out. If you're okay with that, I'm okay with it too. Wow. It was also expounded before Felix. Felix, he's kind of just like the, a puppet, really. He could make some decisions, but... He couldn't make the major decisions, but Paul communicates truth to Felix, and he expounds the truth of God, his confidence in the one true God. He says in Acts chapter 24, verses 14 through 16, talking to Felix, but this I confess to you, that according to the way, which is what Christianity was called at that point, according to the way which they, that's the council, that's the, the high priests and all of his cronies, the Sanhedrins, they excuse me, call it a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that they will be, there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, he says in verse 16, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God first and then men. Where's Paul's hope? Where's his confidence? He just says, as my confidence is towards God, I want to live for him, I want to serve him, I want to put him first, I want to do what is right before his eyes, and if other people don't accept it, don't like it, 
I can't do anything else. Sounds a little bit like Martin Luther, right? When he nailed those 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg Depot, and, and they said to him, you got to change, you gotta, you got to recant. What was his response? Here I stand. In the truth, in the word, in the Bible, here I stand, I can do nothing else. We can't stand in our own strength. We can't stand in ourselves. We can only stand in the truth of God. Paul says, I can't. I live my life. First of all, I want my conscience to be clean towards God, and then, if possible, towards men. I'm going to live that way for the rest of my life. You know what? Even when Paul was persecuting the church, he thought he was doing it for God until God got a hold of his heart and life and changed his way of thinking. He expounded his defense before Agrippa. We already read it in Acts chapter 26, verse 22. Um, well, he says this, Therefore, King Agrippa, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses would sa- said would come. He's saying, listen, you guys say you believe this? You guys say you teach this? I'm teaching you what Moses and the prophets said. Go check it out. I tell you the same thing, don't I? This is what God's word says. Go check it out. Don't just listen to it because I said it. Make sure it's what the Bible says. Go check it out. He says, I stand witnessing both small and great. Doesn't matter who they are. I speak the truth to them. Verse 23 says that the Christ, what is it that Moses and the prophet said would come? 23, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. That's my message, Agrippa. That's what I preach, that's what I teach, and you can find it in the Old Testament. Agrippa says, you know what? He's right. He's right. He's not doing anything that's wrong. He's not worthy of death. But since he appealed to Rome, to Rome he goes. So his confidence in the Lord is exhibited on his trip to Rome. It was exhibited when the howling winds came upon the boat. He said this, And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For they stood by me this for there stood by me this this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore take heart, men, for I believe that God it, that God it will be just as it was told me. In other words, I'm standing here in faith. God told me, I believe it. We're going to be okay. Yes, we're going to lose everything we have. But it's going to be okay. We're going to have our lives. Just before the shipwreck, Paul made these comments in Acts chapter 27, verses 34 and following. He says, Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when they had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. 
in the most difficult time in these guys' life, Paul says, listen, eat and trust God. He prayed, and what does it say? They were all encouraged. You know, when we stand for God, even in the midst of difficulties, those we're standing in front of, we, when they see God's faithfulness and they see God working in our lives, oftentimes they are encouraged. I can't believe he's doing that. I can't believe that happened. Look at what happened there. It's amazing. And then he continues to live out his faith and exhibit his confidence in Rome. Chapter 28, verse 31, it says, Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. <laughs> Paul says, no one's telling me I can't do it. That's got to be one of the first times that's happened in his life. I get to preach and teach and no one's telling me I can't. Why? Because his confidence is in the Lord. There's great lessons for us in this closing message on the book of Acts. When God calls us to accomplish a, tax, a task, you know what? He's going to accomplish that task through us. He's going to do the job. Many times we've referred to Paul's words over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. You know what he says there? Faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. God doesn't expect us to do the call of our lives from him on our own or in our own strength. He expects to work through us. In other words, we have to yield ourselves to him and let him do the work. Faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. If God's called you to do something, he's going to do it through you. Now we have to be willing vessels to let him do the work, but he's going to do the work. Paul had confidence in God because God was faithful to call him, and he was faithful to that call and to live it out. He couldn't be confident in his own abilities because, you know what? He saw what his own abilities accomplished in his life. Not much. In fact, he, he considered everything that he had done, all of the great works that the Apostle Paul had done in his life before he met Jesus, you know what he said they were? I consider them all to be dung. You know what that is. I don't have to tell you what that is. It's worthless. It's useless. Has no value. Paul says, my confidence is only in the Lord. Remember what Paul was called to do? He talked about it. He was called to be a witness for the cause of Christ. Back in Acts chapter 9, God said this to Ananias. He, Paul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul knew that. And that's why Paul was so passionate about his service for the Lord. And as we close this morning, let me ask you a question. What is it that you are passionate about? What is it that Calvary Baptist Church is passionate about? God has blessed this church with great people who love him and want to serve him. God has blessed this church with a beautiful building, a great facility. People that drive by and look over here on 81, they see this church. Brian King says, I love it when you guys host. It's such a perfect location. Such a great place to have Bible conferences. 
God has blessed us with this building. It's a tool that we get to use for his honor and for his glory. We got this conference coming up, but before that we have this fall festival coming up. God has blessed us. We need to be passionate about the opportunities God gives us because he's blessed us with great people and a magnificent building for his honor and for his glory. We can be confident that he will do great things through us as we yield ourselves to him. I trust that our passion as Calvary Baptist Church will be like Paul's passion to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and to boldly live out the life of a of a life that's been changed by the gospel message. We're going to have lots of opportunities in the days and the weeks and the months and if the Lord should tarry in the years to come. These challenges, if we try to do them in our own strength, they can break us. They can tear us down to nothing. But if we trust God during these challenges and these struggles and these, these opportunities that come our way, God can do great things. He can accomplish amazing things through people who are willing to yield to his direction in their lives. Let's commit to work for the glory of our great God and the opportunities that come our way. Paul encouraged the Corinthians to serve well. Listen to how he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, how he encouraged them and let it be an encouragement to us as well. Starting with verse 19, Paul writes this, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more. And to the Jews I became a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Paul wasn't willing to, to, to compromise his convictions, wasn't willing to compromise his commitment to the gospel and to the word of God, but he's willing to let his life change and reflect anything God needed to use to be a reflection of who Jesus Christ is and how a person can come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'm not going to even add or change anything in there and try to make a comparison to today. To today. Let's just understand that God wants us to be all things to all people so that he might win some through us for his honor and for his glory. I trust our vision will be to be used by God to reach individuals right here in Preble, right here in Tully, right here in Lafayette and Homer and Cortland in the areas that surround these, this town. May God use us to help others see their need of Christ and bring them to a saving knowledge of the one true God. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for his life lived, a life lived in faithfulness, a life lived committed to what you called him to do and accomplish in his life. Through him, Father, you brought many, many people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Through him, Father, you allowed others to be discipled, others to then go out and in turn disciple more. Father, thousands of people came to know Christ as a result of one man's willingness to be used by you. We know, Father, when we are willing to let you use us, that you can do the same kind of thing. 
You're the same God today that you were in Paul's life. The same God that Paul served is the God that we serve today. The same uh, purpose in Paul's life to remain committed to the word of God and to the God who made the word is worth being committed to today. Father, we ask that you would continue to use us for your honor and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.